Can you feel it, Mon? I have to credit that to Evan Matthews. We were joking uh, back there. He's like, I feel him on. And I'm like, that's good. I'm going to totally steal that. Uh, so, hey, I'm Pastor Mark. This is E3. And we're going through the, the book of uh, Philemon and uh, just looking at different things that, that we can learn from this letter from Paul uh, in this kind of relationally broken kind of situation between two brothers. Now, real quick, just uh, let you know, uh, I, I, I broke the number one rule of cycling yesterday, and that's to keep the rubber side down. <laughs> Tires are rubber. Okay, well, I just trying to bring it. Uh, so I, I fractured my wrist, and I have road rash uh, up and down my right side. So if you love the talk today, don't come up to me and slap me on the back and, and say, good job, Mon, or whatever, you know. Uh, just distance will be, it'll be fine. Or, or you can tap me on my left. But if you're not sure between your left and your right, or if you're dyslexic, don't touch me. <laughs> All right. I'm glad that we got that all out of the way. So, the past couple of weeks, we've been going through this short little letter to uh, Philemon from Paul, who was writing it in prison, and uh, about a runaway slave called Onesimus. And uh, the first week, Pastor Eric spoke about about Onesimus' kind of uh, perspective about this, uh, the perspective of the runaway. And then last week, I, I took uh, Philemon's uh, perspective of someone who's been run away from. And then this week, we're really going to talk about the pastor who is uh, in, in the middle of this, trying to bring relational uh, restoration to a broken situation. Before we jump into that, though, I was thinking about about this whole idea of, of running away, and we've talked a little bit about how we've all run away from something, right? Uh, it could be a job or a responsibility. Not everybody's run away from a person or from home, but I actually have. When I was 15 years old, I ran away from home. And honestly, I was thinking about it, I don't, I don't remember the exact situation that, that I left under, but Really, the concept was that I was 15 years old, and I thought what the world had to offer was better than a loving, supporting family. So, uh, that's, that was me at, at 15. I just I couldn't see beyond my nose, and uh, I couldn't see uh, the blessing of, of my parents and family and everything that, that I had. But irregardless, uh, I left. I left for... Uh, couple, few months, I'm not sure exactly the, the time period, but the first thing I did was I, I ran to friends' houses, and I had them kind of hide me and take care of me, and when they eventually got tired of, of uh, me, as you would, uh, that, that I caught a ride down to my favorite surfing beach. It's south of Los Angeles. It's called Trestles, and Trestles has a, a great long right break if you're ever looking for one. And uh, it's also kind of just out of the way. And it was like really perfect. So I, I lived there for a while. There was uh, 
uh, railroad tracks that, that went through and a bridge and everything. What I did was I actually built a little pond frond, a uh, little hut, right? Uh, like like uh, Tom Hanks and Castaway, right? I didn't talk to a uh, volleyball or anything, but, but so I hung out and did that. And uh, the, when the lifeguards would come by, you know, David Hasselhoff and Pamela Anderson, right? Uh, that I would, I would run under the, the, the railroad tracks and, and I, would, I would hide and everything. And that, that went on for about a week and uh, eventually the, the lifeguards came and they actually, I saw the lights coming at night and I got out of my little hut and did the normal thing and they came up to my hut and uh, they ran over it. <laughs> then they backed up. <laughs> It's like pond frond. They're going back and forth, back and forth. It's like, dude, it's done. Then they got on their little bullhorn. This is David Hasselhoff. We know you're in there, right? And uh, and they're like, you got to clear out and all like that. So I'm like, okay. So the next day, I had some surfer friends who happened to be down there, and I caught a ride back with them to Los Angeles. And kind of through all all this, I I. Uh, I got in contact, and I'm not sure exactly how it happened. I mean, it's like 30 years ago. But with uh, the youth pastors at my church, uh, Ron and Amory Batesel. And Ron Batesel, actually, I'm still in contact with, and I actually uh, Facebooked him this morning and told him that uh, I was going to share this story, and uh, I probably, as a 15-year-old punk kid, never, never uh, thanked him uh, for what he did for me and, and Amory, and uh, uh, but as a 44-year-old man, that that I appreciate what he did, and this is what he did. Uh, him and his wife Amory, they had a cabin up in Big Bear, which is about uh, two and a half hours east of Los Angeles, up in the mountains, and they had a cabin up there, and they took me up there, and I, and at the time I just thought, well, you know, it'll be a few more nights with a roof over my head. And, uh, and some food and stuff like that. But what they were actually doing was, was speaking into my life. Uh, at that point, you know, I didn't have really any faith in, in the church. I didn't have any faith in adults. I was just kind of in full rebellion on my own. And, and they just showed me love. And through, through that love and through that, that patience and not uh, being condemning to me, they, they were able to bring relational restoration to uh, back, to, or at least, you know, working between my parents and I uh, in that really tumultuous part of, of my life and, and, and their lives. And one of the sad things is, that Ron and, and Anne-Marie, and Anne-Marie was always so full of life. Whenever you would see her, she would, or, uh, she would say, it's me, Anne-Marie. <laughs> that kind of person, right? Wonderful, energetic, and everything. It's like, yes, I know who you are, Anne-Marie. But, but uh, they're no longer married, and, and they're no longer a minister. And it's crushing, and it's sad, but probably the worst thing is it's normal. You see, the average pastor 
stays at a single local church for about three years. The average pastor in called vocational ministry only lasts 19 years here in the church in America. 19 years. And as we're talking today about just Philemon and and Onesimus, we really have this pastor in the middle of them, right? Trying to be a pastor. And when you think about that, and you think about Paul, and you think about some of the, uh, you know, you think about the the pastors of the first century, the, the pastors that we see in the New Testament, that, that they died apostles, they died martyrs. Twelve of the thirteen apostles, disciples who became apostles of Jesus Christ, gave their life for the cause. So what is going on in the Church of America? Why are pastors only staying in one place for three years? Why are pastors only holding on? And all research shows basically holding on for 19 years. And I've been a pastor here for 10 years, and I feel today that that I've earned the right to just kind of talk to you guys about this. Just to say, you know what? For here and for now, and then if God calls you to another church someday, that a pastor who is secure enough in his community needs to stand up and tell you the reason pastors usually only stay three years in one church and they are out of the ministry in 19. And Really, I think it all kind of comes down to a misconception of what it means to be a pastor. Like, what is a pastor's job, and, and, and how do people who are part of the body of Christ receive a pastor? Like, what is the relationship there? What does that look like? And some of the research that I've read and some of the, the best research is done by uh, uh, Barna and Lifeway, and essentially I'm going to bring kind of their research together. The average pastor, the average pastor in America works about 55 hours a week. 42% of pastors work over 60 hours a week. And it's kind of interesting because there's a joke in church that people tell. And you may not think much of it, but I can tell you for most pastors, it's devastating. And that joke is, ha ha, you only work one day a week. You ever hear that? Think about your average pastor who has given their life 
to be a shepherd, has given her life to help guide people into the presence of God. That they have invested in a community and they are working 55, 60 plus hours a week. And people dismiss all that sacrifice as a joke. I mean, think about it in your own in your own situation. Think about if you were giving 60 hours a week to your community, 60 hours a week, and you were sacrificing a whole bunch of other things, and nobody in your community felt like you were doing enough. They didn't feel like you went to enough Bible studies. They didn't feel like you were doing this right or, or that right. They didn't feel like you went on enough service projects. The reality is you probably wouldn't last much more than three years either. And definitely not 19 years. At some point, like most pastors do, you said, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? But funny enough, I don't blame the American church. I blame the pastor. Because I think sometime, somewhere along the way that, that a pastor changes their, their goal to please people instead of honoring the God-given call that they have been given. Now, they're, they're people. And believe me, is I probably have never been called a people pleaser. But I understand pastors want to be liked. Pastors want to hear, you know what? Your investment in me made a difference. That's their lifeblood. And I think about this, and, and I, but I, I think about the pastor, and, and, and it's like, you know what? At some point when a pastor gives in to, to trying to please the people they are serving and wants, their, and wants their recognition and stops doing what God has called them to do, then it's just a clock ticking. The end is near, and not in a big sense, in a personal sense. And the reality is that Scripture is so clear about what a pastor is meant to do. A pastor is not meant to do everything. A pastor is called to do some very specific things, and we will get to feel them on but everything, but I want you to understand where Paul is coming from. And what he is doing in this situation. So in order to understand what a pastor is meant to do. We first turn to Acts. In, in Acts, in, in chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, the church is booming. Scripture says that the church is multiplying rapidly. 
But this, there was rumblings of discontent among the believers. I mean, everybody loves church growth, right? Yeah. Church growth is cool. But the reality is, but as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were grumblings of discontent. Well, what were they discontented about? The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve called a meeting of the believers, twelve disciples or apostles at this point, and they said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the Word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and blah, 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 blah. What did Jesus tell the disciples right before he ascended into heaven, after he, he rose from the dead? You would think this is a pretty big moment, right? Here we have resurrected Jesus, about to ascend in the heavens. And he looks at his 11 disciples and, and, and Mary Magdalene and all them, and he looks at them and says, I have been given all authority in heaven and in earth. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to make disciples. And I want you to teach them. And I want you to baptize them. So what did they do? They ran out and started a food program. And it didn't work, did it? Because none of these guys were called to do that. The risen Lord specifically told them, you are to connect with people and disciple them and teach them and to baptize them into community. And even these guys that got that direct, they got it wrong. Thankfully, they were doing such a poor job at it and everybody was grumbling that they realized what? You know what? Verse 4, we apostles need to do this so we can spend time in prayer and teaching the Word. So here's, here's the first thing, right? First couple of things that a pastor absolutely has to do. He needs to fulfill the God's call, and through that, he needs to be praying Connecting with God, looking for God's direction, not the latest church growth model, not this, not that, seeking out God's direction. I'm not saying that God can't speak through those things, but in prayer and in communion with God. And then teaching people how to live out what God has called the body of Christ to do. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11, Paul writes, now these are the gifts Christ gave the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors, and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip, 
Equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete stature of God. So here we have teaching, praying, and equipping God's people to build up the body of Christ, His church. And this is job one for a pastor. It's not administering a food program. That's the church's job, not the pastor's job. It's the pastor's job to give the biblical instruction of why we should care for the least of these and to paint a compelling picture of why we of the church need to be the tangible hand of Christ. But if a pastor says, you know what? I'm going to do it. I don't need the church. I'm going to do this. I'm going I'm to feed the poor. I'm going to minister the food program. I'm going to just do all of these different things. You know what that's called? It's called sin. It's called pride. It's called the church of whoever's name is on the sign. But Jesus Christ is very clear says, you know what? I'm the head of the church, and we all have responsibilities in that church. And if you take on responsibilities, even if it's good things, even if it's holy things, if you grab onto that and that is not your part in the kingdom, then you know what? You are in direct defiance of Jesus Christ. Because, why? Because it's eventually going to lead to burnout and people being disgruntled. Our role in the body is to play the role that God has entrusted to us. And this is what Paul is doing in his letters to Corinth, in the Corinthian church, Colossians, Philippians, Galatians, Ephesians, and yes, Philemon. He is writing letters, instructing them as a pastor to how people are to live as the full expression of God's love in their homes and in their communities and in their world. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30, Paul writes, And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, He has identified you as His own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. The reality about forgiveness 
is the mortar that holds together the church. This is what really Philemon, the letter to Philemon is, is, is all about, is Paul interjecting himself into a relational, broken kind of situation. We have a master. We have a slave who has run away from the master. The slave becomes a follower of Christ. The master claims he is a follower of Christ. The law says Onesimus must be the slave of Philemon if he wishes it. In comes the pastor. What is needed here? What is needed here is exactly what God had called the apostles and the pastors and the teachers to do. To interject themselves into a messy situation and talk about forgiveness. To talk about unity. To instruct about what it means to be united in Christ. Paul in Colossians 3.13 says, hey, you know what? Make allowances for one another's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. And then I love this. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Forgiveness is a central tenet of Christianity. That's why we come together. Christianity, in a lot of ways, is a synonym for forgiveness. There are parables that Jesus told, beautiful parables that we don't have time to talk about today, about this idea of, you know what? Those of us who have been forgiven and don't forgive others, that is evil. That is in direct opposition of God. That we as a people need to make allowances for one another's faults because none of us are perfect. And forgiveness needs to be the mortar. We have been forgiven much from Christ, by Christ, so we need to forgive others. And this is what Paul is doing in this this letter, is instructing and teaching Philemon that, that, you know what? You need to transcend the law and exist in love. Paul writes to the Galatian church in chapter 3 about this difference between the law and grace. Verse 23, before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under the guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now the way of faith has come, and we no longer need the law of or the guardian of the law, or the law of the guardian. Which way is it? Law of our guardian. Thank dyslexic moment, and I am dyslexic. So, uh, as well, if you've been here any length of time, you know that. Do you need the law if you are in a loving situation? 
If, if you are in the presence, let's, let's, let's take it into your home. Say that you live in a loving home where you genuinely love one another, that you are a family and healthy. Do you need the law that says you must not steal? Do you? Because if you need that law in your home, you do not have a healthy, loving home. If you have to lock things up in your home because you're afraid that the other people that you live with in that home are going to steal it, guess what? You should move. Because <laughs> that's ridiculous. You, you, when you are existing and people are existing in the full expression of God's love, there is no need for the law. Thou shalt not murder does not apply because you do not murder people you love. Thou shalt not commit adultery if you love your spouse. Is that even an option? No. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. If you are in love with God and filled with His Spirit, the law has been fulfilled by Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ has brought in a new covenant of love which transcends the law. And in verse 26, he continues, says, For you are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And we have... And all who have been united with Christ in baptism has put on Christ like putting on new clothes. And this is the idea of baptism that when we come to faith, that we follow Jesus in baptism to identify ourselves as belonging to Jesus and belonging to His church. And when we celebrate baptism next Sunday, that when people are getting baptized, that that's what they're saying, that they're saying, you know what? I am taking off my old clothes of bitterness and rage and hostility and the law. And I am coming up a new creation in Christ dressed in His love. And then the really cool thing Paul goes on and says, there is no longer Jew or Gentile. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female. There is no longer even gator and seminal. That is how great our God is. And now that you belong to Christ... You are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. We are the heirs of love. We are the heirs to the legacy of forgiveness. And this is what Paul, Pastor Paul, and a lot of times we don't think about him that way. But Pastor Paul is 
pastoring two individuals. Onesimus, you need to go back. And make it right with Philemon. You know what, Philemon? When Onesimus comes back, guess what? You're no longer master and slave. You are no longer free man and captive man. There is no, I, he owes me. And, and Philemon, you no longer owe him. That you guys are under a new paradigm. You are no longer under the law, but you are under the beauty of grace and love. And you know what, Philemon? Just as Christ has forgiven you, you must forgive Onesimus for running away. And you know what, Onesimus? Just as Christ has forgiven you, you must forgive Philemon for the hurt and pain that made you run away in the first place. And you guys, you need to make allowances for one another's faults. And you need to speak into one another's lives until you have such unity that you are both the full expression of God's love. Paul is doing his job. He is doing exactly what God called him to do. He is stepping into a very messy situation. He is teaching. He is praying. He is equipping the church to be the full expression of God. You guys